0: Thank you, good morning. morning. It is good to be here, good to be with you. Just play along with me by a show of hands, who was here last Sunday? This past Sunday, it's looking like maybe 75%, great. Uh, My friend Eric Bowles was here uh, last Sunday morning. He's a real downer, isn't he? You know it's gonna be good when a dude shows up with his own sweat towel. Uh, to teach. So Eric's a good friend, a hero of mine. We will have him back. Today is Super Bowl Sunday and uh, some there's two of you excited about that. <clears throat> uh, but remember, no 6 p.m. service tonight. So if you're here and you're just like, I can't get enough, I want to come back at 6. Or if you know friends or family that typically come at 6, just shoot them a little reminder text so that they don't show up. We've been promoting it or, you know, making that known, but we just want to cover all our bases. Instead, we have people that are hosting all kinds of Super Bowl parties in the area, in the community. If you don't have somewhere to go to watch the game, if you're just going to be watching it by yourself, make sure you talk to someone on the patio in a badge, a staff person, a volunteer, whomever, and they can help you get connected to someone, to people that are watching the game. Just because we are convinced life is better together, we are all about trying to get people into community in this church. So That is an option for you. We are in the middle of a series, after all, about relationships called The Art of Relationships. And I have been using kind of one primary text or a few verses. And these are famous verses, the most famous verses on love. It doesn't matter if you've never gone to church in your life, you've heard these verses because I trust that you've been to a wedding once or twice. And if you've been to a wedding, there's probably an 80% chance that you have heard these verses. They're from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to read the first few. Uh, I'm going to read the first couple, and then we're going to read the last one all together. So, so be ready. Watch me for the changes. Try to keep up. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way and then everyone together. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Now, the famous Apostle Paul is talking, he wrote most of the New Testament, right? What he's talking about here is this word agape. Love, say agape, agape. Now, a good Jewish boy or girl back in that day would have been really clear on what agape was, because it's all through the Old Testament part of the Bible too, and they would talk about agape being the God kind of love, like the the eternal kind of flame, like the love that's more than a feeling. You know what I mean? It's it's that kind of love that goes beyond just the. Just the random, I love Peyton Manning. You're like, well, oh, have you met Peyton Manning? And like, no, no, but I just love him, or, or I love these shoes, or, or I love this church, or I, I love Lamp. You know, whatever the case may be, it's, it's that kind of love that we just kind of throw around. And so Paul is saying this is a bigger love than that. This is the God kind of love. This is the love that, like, embraces humanity. This is the love that will endure forever. This is the love that God has for you and wants for you. This is the love that is patient, that is kind, that is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Everyone, everyone likes that, right? No one likes proud, jealous, rude. Everyone likes kindness and patience. This is the love that doesn't demand its own way. No one wants to be around someone when they just demand their own way. This is a love that we like. And then the love that is not irritable and keeps no record of being wrong. And given that this is Super Bowl Sunday, I thought how appropriate if we had a message titled scoreboard. Because here's something that I know about you, even though you didn't tell me, is you're a scorekeeper. You struggle with, you wrestle with, if you're anything like me, and I know that you're human, you struggle with keeping score. It's, it's that scorekeeping, remembering, holding against, that thing that kind of leads to bitterness and resentment. We remember when that person defriended us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you remember that that person didn't invite you to the thing at the place, and so you don't invite them to the next thing. And I know, if you're anything like me, you've practiced the confrontation that you would have with this person in the shower and you're bold and articulate in the shower your zingers sting I mean it's just you are ready in the shower and we keep track don't we of how many times in a row that it was us who unloaded the dishwasher there's all kinds of things like that we are score keepers in other words we keep record of being wronged. You're human. It's a natural tendency. It happens. You can call it resentment. You can call it payback. You can call it justice. You can call it just praying for karma, that they would get what they deserve. But you're a scorekeeper. We have this tendency to keep score. And here's the thing. Even though it's normal and reasonable and I get it and you get it, it's hurting you. It's not good for you. It's not the way that you want to live. And it's not the way we'll see that God wants you to live. He doesn't want you toting around this burden of bitterness anymore. He doesn't want you plagued by this this thing, this cloud of darkness, this wet towel on your shoulders because you can't let this Go. And there's, in that verse that we read, I think that there's a reason why the Apostle Paul connects the ideas of irritability and keeping record of wrongs. Irritability, this is the first fill in in your outline if you are one to follow along with that kind of a thing. Irritability is an indicator of repeat offense and is a sign of scorekeeping. I'm going to say that again to let it sink in. Irritability is an indicator of repeat offense and is a sign of scorekeeping. You become irritable when offenses pile up. You might not realize that that's happening, but you just if someone hurts you, you just get mad the one time. But it's when things annoy you and keep happening that you get irritable. And you don't even know when you're irritable. you got to talk to somebody else and wh- whether or not you're irritable. If you find yourself regularly frustrated, if there's, if there's a little simmer below the surface and you might just uh, snap at some point, that's irritability. That's something. That's an indicator that there's something going, along, going on below the surface that's not irritable bowel syndrome. That's justifiable. <laughs> you should be frustrated if that's your thing. This is something that is outside of you, that's, that's offending you, that is annoying you, that is an injustice toward you from out there. Maybe it's that person at the office, that person at the office that gets on your nerves, that person that chews with their mouth open, and that just becomes an offense to you, that person that uses emojis in professional emails, and you're just like, I can't, I can't take this any. More, Or that person that just always gets elevated in front of you, or that maybe backstabbed you and took some customers from you when, you when you were out. That kind of a thing. That irritability, that frustration that's been building. Maybe for you, it's your kids. All of a sudden, you just snap at your kids, and you're not sure. It wasn't even that big of a deal what they were doing, but it's an offense that has been Building, Maybe it's not even their fault. You're just angry that your body's never going to look the same again. Yeah. Maybe you're just mad that you don't get me time anymore. But it's irritability. It's this, it's this bringing along of offense because your mind functions like the Evernote of all offenses, and it just clings. That's what we have a tendency to remember because by nature we're scorekeepers, and we're playing a game that we cannot win. Let me read this next verse to you. This is an important one. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, look at these words. Remember the Lord forgave you. Just put that to the side. We'll get back to that in a few minutes. What I want you to focus on for a moment is make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Have you ever been around someone that kind of announces when they're offended? Like, I'm offended. That's offensive. We get it, like we want to know, we want people to know that was an injustice or you can't, this is not okay, or whatever. And that that's totally understandable. But really what that person is doing is they're waving a flag saying, I've got work to do. I'm offended and so now I'm responsible to be the forgiving person person. That's what God says. Now, I want to show you a photo that's a little bit embarrassing. We're just going to throw it up. <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is me in sixth grade. <clears throat> Clearly, I was the Zach Morris of Condit Elementary School. <laughs> and I want you to know, whatever you call that, if you call it a mullet, it's okay. Uh, I won't be offended uh, if you call it a rat tail or, or just a bad decision. You can, you can call it whatever you want. But in like 1992 or whatever it was, that was cool. Uh, that was trend setting. My mom even had other soccer moms come up to her and say, when's Caleb cutting his hair because little Johnny won't cut his until Caleb, right? It was a thing back then. Until one day. Until one day when I was playing basketball on the blacktop, and one of my buddies, who had followed in my footsteps and grown his hair out a little bit longer, I overheard him saying from the seats while I'm playing basketball, "Look at Caleb's hair. He looks like a girl. it's so long." And as a 11-year-old, that was damaging. That hurt. I pretended like it didn't. I pretended like I didn't even hear. He probably didn't even know that I heard. But I went home and I told my mom to make an appointment at Supercuts as soon as possible. And I cut the whole thing off. Back to the short, normal boy haircut. And, and, and it hurt me to the extent that I didn't want to talk to Tim anymore. And I kind of didn't we had friends in common, but I just was cold to him, and he probably didn't know why, but my feelings were hurt, and it was toward the end of the year, and and he had come to this little Young Life Club thing that met at my house, and it was, you know, this group of kids that got together, and we would play and have fun, and then someone would talk a little bit about Jesus for 10 minutes at the end, and this group would go to camp in the summer, and so This was a junior high camp in San Diego, and uh, I I was taking some of these friends, and one of Tim and I's mutual friends was already going, and he said, we should invite Tim. And I was like, I don't want to invite Tim. But my other friend convinced me, and we invited Tim, and Tim went to camp. And I remember Tim going to camp and going you know, eating in the hall and then we would go to what they called club and there would be some music and some gangs and then someone would talk about Jesus and then we would go back to the cabins for cabin time and we would talk about our lives a little bit more personally. What what an 11, 12, 13 year old would not typically do in their life. And I remember after the first few nights, Tim started to open up a little bit and I learned that Tim's dad hit him. That he He abused him. It was a tough environment. It was a tough way to grow up. Tim didn't have a whole lot of optimism for his life, a lot of pain in his life. And uh, at that week, Tim heard for the first time that there's a God of the universe who created him on purpose, who loves him personally, and who has a plan for his life. And Tim made a decision to follow this Jesus, and the trajectory of Tim's life changed. Tim's a school teacher now, coaches football, and is having a tremendous impact on other kids' lives. And I almost didn't invite him to camp because he made fun of my hair. <laughs> it's silly, right? And yet, as a kid, that was devastating to me. And I think maybe you can relate. We have feelings, and feelings matter, and we need to feel our feelings and be honest with them. But when they prevent us from doing the right thing, it's not a good thing. When we keep score and cling to past offenses... We prevent God from using us. We prevent his love and his grace from filling us up and from flowing through us into others, and we prevent ourselves from becoming more of the person that God designed us to be. So we make allowance for each other's faults. Now, I want to talk to those of you who maybe you're the type A person that looked ahead at the outline, and you're like, this is a forgiveness message. I got this. Uh, I I, I don't have bitterness, and I've forgiven everybody, and we're good. I think that perhaps this idea still has something for you. Make allowance for each other's faults. Here's what this means. If someone has a weakness or a blind spot and a propensity to hurt your feelings. Maybe you're a little bit like oil and water. You just don't get along very well. Maybe there's this consistent thing that happens. Making allowance for each other's faults means that you create buffers of grace in your life. Like a little kid on the the bumper cars, you know, the bumpers so you didn't crash the car all the time because they know It's designed. You're bumping into each other. You're going on this track, this thing. What if, I mean, just picture it in your head. What if you could create a buffer of grace around your life? Not so that you're isolated further from people. It's actually the exact opposite. It's because you know that people will crash into you. It's because you know that there will be damage done. You know that people will hurt your feelings, that you will hurt the feelings of others, and sometimes they'll do it on purpose. And if you understand that this person has a tendency, a blind spot, that they grew up in that kind of home and that happened to them when they were a kid, and that if you had grown up the way that they did, if you had been through what they did, what they had been through, you'd probably be worse off than they are. I would probably be worse off and if I could build, and if you could build grace buffers around your life, you would be making allowance for each other's faults, anticipating weaknesses, planning for people to let you down in some way because we're broken humans, after all, and because love leaves space, gives grace, and lets go. That's what this love does. It leaves space for people to be imperfect and broken. It gives grace, and it lets go. It's exhausting to take offense all the time and needing to like process through and, and forgive and forgive, and yet that's what we need to do. So the better we get at creating buffers of grace, the easier it will be for us to go through this life to be hurt, to be insulted, to have things not go right, but be able to be quick to forgive. And you might ask yourself the question, but what if they hurt me on purpose? It's a fair question, but we still need to forgive. We still need to let go. It doesn't mean that we need to allow it to continue to happen. We should create boundaries in our lives. In fact, I want to be clear about what forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness does not mean acceptance. It does not mean that whatever the person did is acceptable. That's not what forgiveness means. If they've done wrong, it's wrong. If it hurt your feelings, it hurt your feelings. You're not making it acceptable by forgiving them. You're also not taking away consequences. Forgiveness does not mean that there's no consequence. If someone did something that in the eyes of the law necessitates punishment or prison or whatever, then they should get that consequence. There are natural consequences that are hardwired into our civil culture and that are hardwired into the way that God wired this universe. Consequences are a part of life. Forgiveness does not mean pulling away consequences. And forgiveness does not mean trust. You don't have to trust a person that regularly hurts you, but you do need to forgive them. You do. It's just better this way. God is not asking you to be careless and naive, or he's not asking you to be a doormat. He's asking you to do something far more difficult. He's asking you to forgive even though you've been hurt, and even though you're justified in your pain, and even though they have no right to treat you that way, and he's saying, still, forgive. Love creates space, love gives grace, and love lets go. And forgive because these two reasons. Forgive because forgiveness is for you, It's better for you. You don't want to live with this anxiety every time you're around this or that person. You don't want to live with this burden of knowing that you carry this baggage around with you of this thing that happened in the past. You don't want to live with that sense of just emotional unhealth. You don't want to live with the weight on your shoulders of carrying something from the past maybe it's maybe it's just yesterday but maybe it's 20 years ago and it still gnaws at you and then secondarily forgive because god forgave you remember that was the second part of the verse from colossians it says remember the lord forgave you so you must forgive others Let me tell you a little bit more about where that comes from in in the scriptures. Romans 4 and 4 verse 5 says this, but people are counted as righteous not because of their work, not because of their effort, not because of their performance, not because of their morality. People are counted as righteous because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now here's what followers of Jesus believe. This is, if you've ever heard people talk about the gospel or the message of Jesus, this is it in a nutshell, that Jesus is God, he was the God of the universe, but he put on skin to relate to humans, and he came and he lived on this earth to show us what humans are supposed to look like, what, how humans are supposed to live. He lived a perfect life, free from any kind of failure, any kind of sin, but he died on a cross for our sin and our failure and our imperfection. And then he rose from the dead again. And in that resurrection, that we and all humanity can have new life. That's it. That's the message of Jesus. That's, that's the, quote, gospel. And that is why he says, I want you to forgive. Because I've forgiven you of everything. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, this means, what I just told you, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new has begun. We forgive not because they deserve it, but because we've been forgiven. And in that enthusiasm, in that gratitude, We can become conduits of forgiveness and grace and love. This is the God way. This is the Jesus way. This is just flat out the better way. It's better this way. For you, it's better. What do you get by keeping score? Some sense of satisfaction? You don't. You just get more baggage. And you're playing a game that you cannot Win. So I want to invite you to make an agreement with yourself today. Would you make an agreement with yourself and just say, I'm going to let God make me a forgiving person. I'm going to let God make me a more loving person. Instead of needing to win and keeping score, I'm going to let love win instead of carrying around this burden with me everywhere I go from the past, this thing that I can't let go of, this tendency that these people have to hurt me or offend me or whatever, I'm going to let that go. And I'm going to allow this grace of God not only to be for me, but to flow through me. Because love leaves space, it gives grace, and it lets go. Today's Super Bowl Sunday, friends. But I think for some of us, this could be your freedom bowl. This could be a day that you mark on your calendar that you look back on as the day you let go and you got free of some bondage, of some chains that bind, of some burdens that you've been hanging on to, some past offenses, some ways that people have let you down, that person that just keeps on doing it and you keep on letting it offend and offend and offend and you can't let it go yet. This could be your freedom bull. This could change everything. I put, this, I put this card in your bulletin that you can just grab and look at so that you can take it as a reminder. This is the way the world works. It's you and them. You have a tally of your good things. They have a tally of the things that they have done to hurt you. Perhaps what you need to do is to begin to jot the names of people over here in the them category. The people, the person that you need to forgive. That you need to release. That you need to let go. And then on the back, this is freedom. This is clean slate. This is a a new day. This is you saying, I'll no longer be tormented by the wrongs done to me. And I'll no longer be ashamed of the wrongs that I have done. Some of you might need to ask forgiveness of someone else today. For your freedom bowl. For you to really let go and be free. I heard of a mother who was uh, abusive to her daughter as well. And this daughter, when she finally left the house, she says, I'm never going back. I am never going to speak with my mother again. And then some years later, she gets a phone call, and her mother's had multiple strokes. And her mother had no one. And so this daughter goes and sits by her mother's bedside, and just reads to her stories and scriptures. And day after day, just reading to her for a few minutes, she says that she felt the hate just drain out of her heart and that she was filled with love and grace for her poor mother. As badly as she had hurt her, she forgave her. And it led to a new freedom. And friends, that's what I want for you, for us. There's, there's some of you are at a point in your life you you can't go forward anymore, until you let something go. You think that you're letting them off the hook, but really, it's letting you off the hook. There's a better way. So I have a freedom goal for you. It's go first and go fast. You go first. Don't wait for someone else to come and ask your forgiveness. You start. It's better for you anyway. And it's what God has for you. He wants you to have the freedom to be able to forgive quickly. The speed to forgiveness is your speed to freedom. So let's be those who are quick to forgive. They don't deserve it. And that's not the point. None of us deserve God's radical grace. But you can forgive. You can learn to give space. You can learn to give grace. And you can learn to let go because of this God. Let me read you a few verses from Psalm 103. This says this. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For in his unfailing love toward those who fear him, it's it's as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. And he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Some of you need to know that crazy love this morning, some of you for the very first time. And it's as simple as just receiving it, just saying yes. God, I want that. I want your forgiveness. I want relationship with you. And that can happen right now. And I think that most of us need to pay attention to this. And if there's some names on this side, maybe today is is the day of freedom where we let that go. In light of God's radical love and grace for us, that we can show a similar love, that same love flowing through us and have grace for others. And maybe, just maybe, this would be a day of freedom. It is a game changer for you. Will you stand with me as we respond? Lord, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for your love. We are thankful for your powerful work in our life. And we celebrate that today.